Welcome to the 3D3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. So you guys watched the All-Star game last night? Uh, yes. <laughs> feel like it's kind of the same thing every year. Although I didn't watch it with any of the, uh, the fancy uh, high-tech hockey stuff on uh, NBC's app. I did. I did. I sat back here streaming the game with their fancy high tech, mostly because as I think I tweeted. No, I don't think I tweeted. I know I tweeted this, that the um, one of the underrated aspects of it is you didn't have um, Roenick and Pierre as that uh, broadcast. You finally just had rink noise. No, it was Kenny Albert and Keith Jones. OK, so that's not bad. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great duo. But the uh, you could tell they were fiddling around with with graphics formats and seeing what trying things and sort of like a new kid, you know, with a, with a new electronic toy. You're just sort of playing with all the buttons to see what it does. And that's kind of what it felt like they were doing. And for some reason, they had an ISO cam on Clayton Keller. No offense to Clayton Keller, fantastic player, but if you're going to have a demonstration of this ISO technology, is it really Clayton Keller? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Did uh, did Larry Brooks slip somebody a 20 I, I, and I, highlight a story from over I, the weekend? <laughs> I, I, probably. I don't know. I mean, it was... <sighs> so so it, did you hear that about that story, Cassie? No, I didn't. So prior to um, Pete Chiarelli's famous, it was one for one trade. Uh, the Rangers and the Oilers had a deal that would have sent um, Ryan McDonough to the Oilers for a package that would have included the fourth overall pick uh, during uh, where the Oilers ended up taking Pooley Arvey, but I guess the Rangers would have. Uh, targeted Keller at number four mm -hmm. as part of a bigger package or whatever. But Larry Brooks put out that story and then proceeded to crap on Florida and Carolina as one does as a curmudgeon. Oh yeah, no, I did hear about that. I, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah, I, I blogged about the lightning for eight years. So I'm very sensitive to the whole, non-traditional hockey market like getting a lot of crap for no reason thing <laughs> i feel like there should be a badge living or, or, or rooting for any anything in a non-arbitrary six market you get like a tattoo you got like a little gang symbol or something you know you just pull up your sleeve and show it to someone and yeah you know they're a secret handshake or you know you're like little hell's angels you run around and you all have your nicknames on the back of your leather jackets <laughs> and a little gang it's more like a support group <laughs> or there's there's that too <laughs> hi my name is cassie i root for a southern team um <laughs> I've, i'm a non-traditional hockey fan for 12 years now hi cassie <laughs> yeah can can we just force everyone else to call themselves traditional hockey fans and we can, you know. There you go. We can be the 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 real ones. <laughs> the quote unquote much. real fans. I yeah. mean no one forced us into this, like, you know, every 
parental unit north of the border or in the state of Massachusetts. But <laughs> Any, anybody in the ice belt, right? Of yeah. The, of the Americas. Or in, anywhere where high school hockey or college hockey is bigger than professional. So your Minnesotas and your, and your Massachusetts and Wisconsin's. Yeah. Now, I, uh, I, I got into this argument um, the last year. Maybe I think it was the last, last season I was blogging for the Lightning. And um, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, Lightning for their playoffs decided that they were going to geolock season or ticket sales. Ah, uh, yes, I remember. So you had to be from the state of Florida in order to buy playoff tickets. Otherwise, they weren't going to let anybody outside get them. And so, and I, I had a problem with that. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm in California, and I want to go watch a game in Florida. I was going to go watch a playoff game with, against it was Detroit, I think, when Detroit was still in the Western Conference. And um not it was also just the principle of the thing it really pissed me off and so i had someone from the team and i don't know if they were actually i was friends with them so i don't know if it was them personally or them representing the team i i can't say that for sure but they're like you know since you're a real fan we can get you tickets and i'm like i'm sorry who are you to judge who's a real fan? <laughs> Canada, usually. And But this was Tampa. And so, um, you know, and again, I'd been blogging for about the team for eight years. I only had one person offer to buy me tickets. Well, you know, me reimbursing them, of course. But only one person out of, out of everybody that I happened to touch during those eight years, like... We're like, oh yeah, you know, if you want to get a ticket, then then we can use my address and we can totally do that. And so I I got to go, but but you know, it really pissed me off. <laughs> I, I think what the problem was with your friends and and all of your compatriots was is they didn't want to be an accessory to a potential instrument of crime scenario. <laughs> Right, you know, with some sort of awkward catfish or octopus thing, you know. Yeah, I don't that, know. The hypersensitivity around that. Well, no, it was mostly, I got mine, screw you. That was basically the attitude that most people in Florida had. They didn't care. They thought it was great. And I'm like, yeah, you just don't quite get that. Somebody's sharing their music. Isn't that exciting? Hey. <laughs> no, it's people outside. I, I oh, hey. busy street. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, was it a good theme song? Maybe we could use it. No, it was kind of lame. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. So back to the All Star Game. Yeah, the uh, the the oh, yeah the kids playing with the knobs was just painful. All the graphic overlays. Um, the ones that annoyed me the most, I think, were the tracking ones where they tried to put the lines on the ice. Where they, you know, I think getting rid of the glow puck was whatever, but then putting the tail on the puck as it made its way down the ice. The the gray lines. Yeah. That drove me bonkers because the latency on it was distracting. Because <laughs> it sat about eight milliseconds behind where the puck actually was is when the line would render. And eight milliseconds is when that perception of humans 
kicks in and something you look at it and you go, that's off. Like if the lip sync is off on, on something is around eight seconds, you can see the person's mouth isn't moving exactly with the, you know, the vocal track or whatever. <laughs> so that was throwing me off. And then I have no idea why they thought putting a blue line that tracked the players was a good idea. It, it looked like a Tron light cycle battle. It did. They just had these blue lines following these players as they're skating down the ice. And I'm like, I'm seeing the players. Why are you showing me where they were? Uh, what's the point of showing me where they were? Now, how that could have worked better was, so I, since I didn't look at the app, I'm using mostly your screenshots, Patrick, as kind of my frame of reference. Mm -hmm. But if they use kind of that sidebar area and actually tracked where an isolated player has moved along the ice, that would be a little more interesting than showing me while they're skating on the same surface. Exactly. If they had a rink, you know, the top view of a rink, and you had sort of like um, one of the famous stories Wayne Gretzky tells in one of his autobiographies is when he was growing up watching hockey, he used to have a, a pad of paper and he'd take a pen and he'd watch the game and sort of um, mark just sort of, I don't know how the hell to put this, he'd draw on the, the paper where the puck went. So he saw, you know, at the end of the game where the dark areas were. So he sort of said, well, that's where the puck tends to go the most. And that's sort of where he started formulating his game. If they did something like that on that graphic overlay, you could see where players' tendencies were, right? And you, mm -hmm. and you can kind of see, you know, who likes to set up on the half wall and maybe then dive into the middle versus someone who goes and parks in front of the net versus someone who's sort of, you know, stays in the slot and works their way out, that kind of stuff. That would have been great. But putting it on the ice with them, I'm just, yeah, whatever. Well, one is for what you're talking about, what you think would be great would be the NHL not doing it because they don't want to be giving teams uh, scouting on certain players because that's how the NHL likes to think, which is ridiculous, but that's how they are. <laughs> and the other is meant for newbies to the game who are flipping through and they come to the NHL All-Star game and they have a problem tracking the puck and tracking the players, so they use the line to find where the player or where the puck is. And I don't disagree with the puck tracking, but the entire intent of the light versus dark is so that you can see the players. You know? Right. So it makes it that much easier. And it wasn't like they were putting, you know, the, the blue Tron light cycle tail had the player's number or anything on it or was anything associated with it. It was just a line. And mm -hmm. when they do crossing plays, you're like, oh, you know. Are people going to get confused if there's a three-player crossing play at the blue line, like some teams tend to set up, you know, where they'll they'll cycle one in and then two guys will swing around on the other side to try and build speed? It, then it's just a blur of lines at that point. The puck okay. tracking, I get what they're trying to do. I still don't right. like it, but I get what they're trying to do. So here's the thing, though, is that the purpose of the NHL All-Star game isn't for hardcore fans. That's that's not what the whole point of the game is. The point of the game, at least I think, is actually two reasons. One, it's for casual fans. It's like tuning into a Major League Baseball home run derby, you know? 
Um, so they hope that they'll snag some some casual fans who may not know much about the game, and so they try to dumb it down as much as they can for them. But the main purpose for the NHL All-Star Game, the whole weekend really, to me, again, uh, is it's um, the NHL's schmooze fest with their um, with the the people who are are supporting them, the companies and and uh, the advertisers and all of that. It's the let's showcase our product, so you are you know you're making a good investment kind of thing. So, um. You know, so a lot of that technology that they're throwing out there isn't for the hardcore fan. Oh, I, I'm not discounting that. I'm, I I try and take myself out of being a quote-unquote hardcore fan and put myself back to someone, you know, who was a 10-year-old kid watching hockey on a black-and-white TV trying to figure it out. Because mm-hmm. I didn't have, you know, the tribal knowledge of five generations of Canadian hockey fan family members. I had to reverse engineer, so to speak. So mm-hmm. I always try and put myself in that situation when I do look at these types of events. And and from someone looking at that, I was trying to figure out how is this going to help that 10-year-old me or someone else like that dissect the game without you know getting all dense with rules and, and player positioning and traditional forms of offense and that kind of stuff. So I, I, I love the All-Star game because it is stupid and silly. And it's not meant for me. And because mm-hmm. it's not meant for me, it's stupid and silly, and that's fun. So, I don't know. I, I, the, the, the player tracking, the data coming out of the player tracking, I think, to Pat's point earlier, would have been better shown as sort of a top-down view as opposed to them trying to slam it on the ice with them. Because there was a couple of the shots, and if Pat's been looking at my screen grabs, there's the one where they, they put the, the graphic, sort of, they tie it onto their helmet, and they do, like, the speech bubble over them. And it, it honest to God, it was just so cluttered that you could hardly see anything on the screen. I'm, I'm actually looking at one of those screenshots now, and someone captioned it, General Public, colon, it's hard to follow hockey on TV, NHL, this should help. And it's showing a screen grab from... Players warming up on skill time, skill competition night, and it's just thirty boxes dominating. You know, a you know a, a good third of the middle section of the screen. I you're you know you've got six guys out there. You know, ten players effectively at the same time in a normal game. At least in a three on three, you've got the six guys out there. And even then, you know, that's going to be too much. You put it in the skills competition when basically there's 24 guys sitting out there. That's it's just going to be a just a wall of graphics. At least I will say from what I saw on the broadcast side was everything seemed to work fine, even (laughs) though it really felt like to me they were repurposing like an old NASCAR graphics package. Like, this is kind of what they had built out and could use, you know, with whatever kind of API they're they're tagging from, you know, the players and the, the chip and the puck. But I will say, at least it worked. It did identify the right players. And I think they have enough to actually make something decent if, you know, someone would sit down and actually produce something well, for the now, game itself. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, I, I mean, I don't watch any NASCAR except for the two road courses, but 
was kind of joking that it just felt like the times that I do sort of tune into a NASCAR race or I'm flipping through it and they're showing the high bank ovals or something and they do that tracking where they show you their position and their speed with those with those speech bubbles, for lack of a better term, that kind of reminded me of that. So I'm wondering if they didn't, to your point, just reuse an existing package because they had the graphics in place for it. Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah. The, the NHL tends to be um, kind of cheap when it comes to graphics. Uh, NBC. That's all NBC production. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's NBC. Okay. You see, I, I, so I don't mind the the skills competition. I usually skip the All-Star game. I was at an AHL game last night in Hartford. It was Charlotte at um, Hartford, and Charlotte won 4-2. to two. Um was it five to two? I think it was five to two. They got an empty net. Um, and so I skipped all of that, but I kind of think that they ought to do away with the game and just do like the skills competition. I mean, if you're going to go goofy, then go goofy. But I also think that they could make the skills competition into something truly competitive and interesting. Um, in that, so when that, when I lived in Bellingham, Washington, I'd go up to uh, Connects games a lot. And the Connects used to do their own internal skills competition. And they'd do it for charity. Uh, they would have a, an inter-squad practice, and then they'd, they'd do an inter-squad game, and they'd do like a, a skills competition. I don't think they did it all in the same day, but they would do things like that. And so they got me to thinking, well, you know, if you really want to find out who the truly fastest player is in the NHL, that doesn't necessarily necessarily mean that they're going to be an all-star right so why not have all 31 soon to be 32 teams have their own skills competition the nhl takes the top three out of the league and then pits them against each other in the actual skills competition competition instead of an all-star game they kind of used to do that to a certain degree where the skills competition was uh, you know, there were there were guys that would participate in that that weren't participating in the game. So some of those guys would actually, you know, come in just to do the hardest shot or the fastest skater. Right. And they, wouldn't, they wouldn't end up being part of the game. Um, I don't mind the game. I, I you know, I, I I honestly don't. I think it lets it lets some guys do some stuff that they'd never be able to pull off on ice. And you know you get to see sort of a different skill level. I mean, there was a there was a pass Kucherov made in one of the games yesterday. I think it was the I don't think it was the final game. I don't particularly care what game it was, but all I remember was he made sort of a behind the back pass that was just ridiculous mm-hmm. at at speed. And it's just one of those I had to stop when I saw it and rewind a little bit and went, okay, that was crazy. You know. Odds he'd ever pull out in a game, probably none, because he'd end up, you know, on, flat on his back or something. But it's there, you know. It's kind of one of those bullets in the chamber that maybe one day you'll see it in a game. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't mind the game. I think the skills competition's hellaciously fun because you get to see them be even goofier. But yeah, it's not. You know, the game's not for me, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like this year was one of the few years where I actually favored the game over the skills competition. One, I never knew what time the skills competition actually started. Everything was broadcast for 
the NBC or CBC or Sportsnet, I should say, you know, pregame show. And then I was kind of left wondering, okay, does this start at 9.30 Eastern? Does it start at 9 Eastern? And I just felt like there was just so much dead time until I got my 35 seconds of action for, you know, one person doing something. Whereas I actually think the game that kind of, I think the 3i3 works for a casual audience because you can actually keep up with things a little better. There's mm-hmm. a little less passing. Um, but I to move on your idea, Cassie, I would like to see kind of the skills competition turned into like a mini day at the Olympics where it's actually produced like, you know, the random sport at the Olympics where we get a little more uh, just kind of anecdotal stories that are pre-produced ahead of time since they know the teams three to five weeks out and then they kind of fill in all that dead air so i don't have to listen to you know the u.s commentators talk about how good the islanders are playing because no one really cares about that this week (laughs) you know they're in they're in first place but this is the all-star game i want to talk about more than just what Matthew Barzell and his teammates are doing. Talk to me about how great Matthew Barzell is and some of the cool things. So you're not as surprised when you watch him three on three and then hear the quotes from Crosby, how he's so great to play with. It's a little highlight packs. Yeah. Or just, you know, when you're watching a skiing event during the winter Olympics, one person goes down at a time and then they sit and stand at a podium and kind of wait for their score. And then you kind of see the guys in competition they kind of sit or stay at a podium or when it's figure skating, they sit at at the booth kind of with their team, just make it a little less awkward than 40 guys just kind of putzing around in the background while one guy does something. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I, uh, um, I actually watched the ECHL all-star game. It was on the NHL network a few days ago and theirs was unbelievably interesting. They had the game. They had the skills competitions in between the games. So they oh, yeah. they, they did kind of a similar tournament, um, and then after you know one of the rounds was done, then they had the hardest shot competition, and then they came back out and played another game, and then they had the fastest skater competition. So I thought that was kind of I thought that was kind of an interesting way to do it. You know, obviously they're they're on a a shoestring type budget and had to sort of cram everything in, but it also stopped and made, I also had to stop and kind of go, you know what? That's actually kind of a fun way to do it. And, and I know the NHL never do it because they want the full weekend or a full weekend of entertainment. And that's, you know, they're never going to sort of truncate it down to even one day. Um, But something to your point, Pat, something that, even in in the intermission of the the skills competition when they're setting stuff up right which is where the we get the the just mind-boggling banane chatter from these people you know trying to do all of these other things and and kill the airtime while they're out there setting up the the obstacle course for the pucks competition or something is just kind of oh god Give me a package. Give me a highlight package. Give me something other than Jeremy Roenick, man on the street interview again. Or Human Jeremy interest Roenick. story. Yeah, on, on some of these guys that are here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I 
One of the most frustrating things for me personally, when um, I was interviewing players, was listening to the same questions being asked over and over and over again. And I was only like doing that, you know, once or twice a month. Can't even imagine what these poor guys have to like listen to every single day. And so I try, I'm not the best question asker, um, but yeah, I tried to be a little more insightful with my questions than just, oh, so how does it feel to be uh, back playing when you were out for so long kind of stuff? Um, so like I, I was interviewing Dustin Tokarski one day <laughs> and I asked him as a goalie, which goalies never get asked this question, what his off season exercise um, regimen was. Goalies never get asked that. And he was more than happy. He was very enthusiastic about it, you know, telling me this was years ago, of course, but to tell me about what he does, he was not expecting the question because goalies never get asked that. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, it's, it pains me when I see things like the NHL all-star game, when they sit there and ask like these ridiculously bland questions where these guys don't have to think like at all because they've been asked this question 50 million times already in their lives and and i just want to like smack people <laughs> yeah I, I i listened to the espn on ice and and i love the way emily digs in and just asks off the wall questions and you can tell that the players have to stop and think because they're ready for those sort of you know, canned responses from the Rolodex, like you're saying, Cassie, because, mm -hmm. you know, I have this canned response for this question, this one for this one, have to stop and actually think for a second before they answer. Now, some and... players don't like that because they are, you know, they want to just cruise through the interview, get it over with, move on with their lives. Mm -hmm. So they don't, they don't like the unexpected question. They're like, oh, I have to think about this. Oh, wait. Um, and that makes them a little, little more uncomfortable. But for the most part, most of them enjoy it. And I've noticed that the women reporters are better about that than men reporters are. But that's just a generalization. It's my observation personally. But Well, I no, I think you're 100% correct on that simply because I think the, the men, they're hockey men, you know, and they don't want to, <laughs> you, you know. Uh, Trademark. Yeah, exactly. They <laughs> They're the hockey men. They don't want to step outside and piss someone off because, for whatever reason, they think it's going to get them expelled from the hockey men club. Access. It's all about access. They don't want to like lose their access because that's their job. Yeah, it's everyone's. It's the women's jobs too, but the women aren't afraid of losing access because they don't have that hockey men mentality trademark. <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's frustrating i mean and afterwards because it was my first interview and it was a it was a skype interview with with dustin tokarski and so afterwards i'd come up with this list of questions i'd had some help with people on my blog and i asked him at the end it's like okay this isn't a regular part of the interview question but i just needed to ask what did you think of the questions I wanted his feedback. <laughs> you wanted a Yelp review? <laughs> I did. I, I wanted to know if, if you know, and this is why I'm not a good interviewer. Because <laughs> I want to know that the, 
I did good, <laughs> even if it was unexpected. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, he said that a couple of questions were awkward, but most of them were really good, and, and he was actually pretty happy about it. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't. It, it's if you're going to do something off the wall, I want feedback, you know. Yeah. Because I want to know if that's worth my time or not, mostly rather than whether I did good or not. But, um, but yeah, so like and and part of it too is is that the 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 men reporters are the expectation going into it is they're just going to do what everyone else has done and so they keep doing what everyone else has done and so that it self perpetuates you know where they just mm-hmm. ask these really bland boring you know inane questions repeatedly but they've so, learned how to 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 take twice as long to ask them that in you know so in terms of or you know just these mindless just three three word phrases that add nothing to the context that hopefully makes them sound smarter mm-hmm. i don't know but it, it it does get frustrating whereas i typically have tried to avoid crossing that threshold into pure interviewer um in things that I've done uh, coverage-wise. So when I actually do run into players, I try and ask them things that either take them completely away from the ice or just kind of small icebreakers like, how do you tape your stick? The Je- Another Jeff Merrick classic. Mm-hmm. Because it, it just kind of opens up to, are you going to give me a boring, canned response or, or is this something that you actually think about or are interested in? And I wish we would see more of that. Um, because I'm a giant hockey nerd who likes to talk about gear and equipment, um, because they get all the new fancy stuff and I kind of want to know, Oh, what are they wearing? Like, um, <laughs> like red uh, carpet. So what are you wearing? <laughs> exactly. So, um, uh, what, what brand of tape are you using? Like I loved on the Royal half, the LA Kings blog where each season they would, they would have kind of these Photoshopped images showing, Oh, Here's what kind of gloves or skates or sticks a player is using, and I love that stuff. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just interesting because it's a, it's ninety nine percent of the same stuff you can find if you go to a shop that sells gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cassie, I'm dying laughing because again, I I tend to put on the NHL Network for background noise sometimes, and and they were doing a red carpet walk, um, <laughs> uh, Friday night before the skills competition yeah, and they had um, Jackie Redmond who was used to be on Sportsnet. She's now down on NHL network out there. And she did actually ask Matt Barzell, who was he wearing? And I just about fell out of my chair. No, you know, when I was doing the 2011 all-star uh, game and I was at the red carpet as a member of the media, I, my digital voice recorder died. My plan was to do that to every player. Oh no! Man. My plan was to do that. I mean, I was standing there. I was taking pictures while I was there, but I was standing there, and I had Henrik Lundqvist standing in front of me for a good five minutes, oh. right in front of me, and I was like, "Oh man, I really, I just, I don't have anything to record with, though." Come <laughs> It's just like, oh, it killed me. Just killed me. It was him, and then. Who was the other one? There was somebody else that like, I and I, I must have been sitting with. I don't think it was the Rangers. I, I had a um, there are a group of people around. Well, there was a bunch of people, um, but 
Um, there was somebody else. It wasn't PK Subban went on the other side, so I didn't get an op. I didn't get an opportunity to like you know make strangling noises and not being able to ask him who he was wearing either. Um, <laughs> but there was somebody else, and I don't remember who it was, and they just camped out right in front of me, literally three feet away. And I'm just like, why? Why don't I have a digital voice recorder? Why? Because <laughs> now I, I really want, I was going to. That was my plan. It was like, you know what? Red carpet, all-star game. They're all dressed up in nice suits. I'm going to ask them who they're wearing. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's, you know, that's one thing. I miss Jen Neal. I miss, I miss oh, Jen Neal yes. right in hockey. Because she was freaking epic at, at those off-the-wall questions. Mm-hmm. And I've, I, as I sort of mentioned before we started recording, I've been watching some um, presentation streams from NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants, um, big musical industry show. And in between demos at one of these booths, they have a guy who comes out and sits with some famous recording engineers and so forth. And he's been asking those types of questions. those just off the wall questions, right? Um, scrambled or fried eggs, you know, <laughs> and, and these guys kind of have to stop and think about it for a moment because they're, you know, you're in that autonomous response right. program, you know, mm-hmm. You expect these, you know, one of these seven or eight questions. Here's the standard, you know, answer I give to those. So it's been, it was funny watching, you know, watching these guys, you know, these sort of famous engineers and producers have to stop and think for a moment. Like, and one of them actually kind of looked at the guy like, you're seriously asking me this? Okay. (laughs) So. Yeah. I didn't end up doing a lot of like that kind of writing because. As a woman writing about a sport, there's this fine line between making men into objects and just being funny. And already you're already fighting the whole stereotype of, oh, you're just doing this because you want to like date a player, you know? And so I get that all the time. I got that all the time. Uh, And so, you know, you can't sit there and, and... us women who are blogging and you know journalists are we always sit there and, and like we struggle with this because it's like you want to be funny you want to be like entertaining and you want to play up the whole woman plant writing about male athletes but at the same time you don't want to play into that whole i'm just here to date a hockey player kind of bs and so you know it's and so i just steered clear of it i just i stayed far away from that i wasn't going to do any of it i wasn't i mean i really wanted to i really wanted to do the let's do the top 10 hottest nhlers this week you know kind of thing yeah it's such a tough needle to thread because i die la- i i know i'm rare but i die laughing at that kind of stuff cuz who the hell cares you know, uh, a lot of men, you would be surprised. There are a whole lot of men who care about that stuff. And uh, I, and I all, got yeah. a lot of crap about it. So, I mean, I got, I got enough crap about what I was already doing without having to add in the, Oh, let's, let's play with this a little bit, you know? Yeah. The, uh, no, I see it. You know, I see the dude bros constantly. I see the dude bros. Mm-hmm. It, it, it kind of makes me fascinated by, so, the Athletic Carolinas hired Sarah Sivian 
pretty much the day before the season started. Mm -hmm. And she is very much of that, puts all her personality into her writing. And as a young writer, she's still kind of finding her voice, but she she actually finds a way to balance the humor and kind of the the X's and O's very well. And it one in a just market that's just hungry for any sort of information that isn't uh, a game story that's adds some feature writing flair to it. It's been very refreshing, and it's just. <laughs> For a team stuck in mediocrity for a decade, it's just, oh, it's just so nice. So, yeah. but I, I one hundred percent get what you're saying, Cassie. Like, one, the the stupid bros that asks, oh, you just want to date a hockey player? I've never really met a hockey player because most people probably wouldn't want to because they're, <laughs> they are some uh, interesting, interesting guys. Like having played a little of college club level, you know, yeah, I don't keep up with most of those people that I played with anymore, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> um, I find people just seeking out information and likes both like the serious X's and O's and then can have some off colored fun and humor and not at anyone's expense while they enjoy a game. Those people are way more interesting, but the dude bros are, well, they had their moments this weekend too. Let's, let's be honest. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Sarah. Sarah is so freaking. You know, I I've I've loved her ever since she was in Boston because she is who she is, and and doesn't try and hide it. You know, she she doesn't try and write like someone else because she feels she has to. She is just who she is, and she is that person. She comes across as being that person twenty four seven, right? Someone who is unbelievable hockey intelligence and and sport sport background. And all of that side of it, and that wicked, acerbic sort of sense of humor, a little, a little sardonic, you know, self-deprecating. But she toes that line, like you said, Pat, just so beautifully. And, yeah, and... some some women can do it. I, I found I couldn't really, and part of that, the tone was kind of set early on for me. Um, so I, I uh, started doing this blog with John Fontana, and he, he's the uh, um, anxious sort, wants to please everybody. So any little thing that came up, you know, he would freak out a little bit and be like, no, no, we can't do that. We have to fix it. So the first couple of years doing the blog, I actually had the uh, media relations guy from Tampa contact me about a couple of things that I wrote. And it was all benignly written but clearly somebody had asked him to contact us because they didn't like what i wrote and um bum, bum, bum. pretty much and so so john was like oh we should change we need to change it then we can't we can't go pissing off the team i'm like screw that they're not paying us we're not their pr firm they don't yeah. like it too bad <laughs> no in a past life as a former journalist if you're not pissing someone off you're probably not doing something right you're exactly you wrote something that touched a nerve so there's probably truth behind it so you're that frame of mind is exactly what we need more in the hockey press otherwise you end up in edmonton <laughs> <laughs> just, or ottawa <laughs> oh yeah well, just carry water for that team oh my god uh, edmonton management can do no wrong never can 
Again, it's about access, though. It's there are certain publications that are very nervous about that sort of thing, editors and such. And so, um, you know, it, 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 not just in sports, but generally speaking. And so they want to keep people happy. Well, they, they don't realize that it's a symbiotic relationship, right? They need mm -hmm. you as much as you need them. So you find that line, you know, and, and I'm not afraid, you know, there's, there are times I know local papers have gone way out of their way to, to, to <clears throat> berate former team owners in the Seattle area. And yeah, but those that's guys, Seattle. Well, Seattle, those, Seattle's but, got the attitude, you know, having grown up there like you, Patrick, the, the, the Pacific Northwest attitude is you have to be honest. Even if it hurts, you have to be honest. That's just the way it is. And other places, though, they don't care if they're honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, though, I mean, I know there's been a couple of times and in, in when the Sonics were going through the Howard Schultz era before they left. Um, I know that Schultz's people dove in to a couple of reporters and and the the PI and the Times both sort of had to to take the foot off the gas, so to speak, mm -hmm. because they were tired of 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 painting Howard in a bad light, which he fully deserved. But <laughs> to that point, um, right. So I mean, it is what it is. Um, Again, you know, some women are better at that than others. I, I had I had a hard time with it, so I just played it straight. Um, not because I was afraid of pissing people off. Clearly, I wasn't. Um, but because it was just, it's a small fan base. We were trying to create a new, it was an SB Nation blog. We were just getting off the ground, trying to create a, a readership. And so it, it was... I didn't get a whole lot of problem with it. Usually every once in a while, someone would pop up in the comments and be like, Oh, go back to the kitchen. But, um, but you know, that's, that's how it is when, I mean, let's all look at what happened to Kendall Coyne this weekend. <laughs> oh, or Brianna. <laughs> Brianna Decker. Another good one. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so also speaking as a, uh, a woman who played hockey. We all know going into those kinds of situations that we are the token woman, you know, that sort of we're, we're there for PR. We're not there because people take an actual interest in what we do. <laughs> and that was the whole point of, of having women at, at doing the skills competition was, or at the skills competition was, Oh, look, see, we are diverse. We do hockey is for everybody. Look, we have women out here kind of PR stuff. So, um, so the fact that the Kendall coin actually got to participate, I'm not sure that was actually really cleared with like Batman. <laughs> oh, no, think... no, no, it was, was it? it? Oh, very much. It was the really? reason. Yeah. The reason that it was, was Nate McKinnon was supposed to participate in the fastest skater. Right. And they did not have time to pull in another entrant. Right. And so through some negotiation, and I don't know where it all came from, but that was her actually stepping in and competing versus Brianna Decker. And I, I'm, 
oh, I'm going to get hell for this. I forget the 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 two that they had from the Canadians women team were or like Hillary Knight last year, you know, going out and demoing the competition before, you know, the guys came out and did it type thing. Right. She and was, I, I yeah. realized Kendall Coyne participated in yeah, the way no, that I, the um that the Colorado Avalanche Twitter put it, it was Nate McKinnon's idea. But I had read elsewhere that it was the NHL's idea, and Nate McKinnon agreed to it. Well, I think it was, uh, you know, there's always that in between two stories is the truth. Mm-hmm. So it would not surprise me at all if they went and, you know, negotiate. And I won't say negotiate because it makes it sound, it sort of degrades the whole thing. But, you know, communicated with each other and said, hey, we want to do this. Hey, we want to do this too. And, you know, let's go ahead and do it. Because right. she's obviously fast enough, and and <laughs> you know, it will be a great PR win for everyone. Hopefully, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If you if the NHL doesn't screw it up, which they somehow managed to do, but yeah. So I mean, that was that to me was fantastic because I just watching the number of people you know who hadn't paid attention to her or knew anything about her watch their jaws drop when she took off. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just, she's stupid fast. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, she's built closer to the ground. She's 5'2". Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so her legs don't have to go as far. <laughs> my, my wife and I were kind of joking about that because they did an interview with her, Brianna, and, and Catherine Tappan. And my wife sort of goes, Catherine Tappan's either really tall or they're really short. And I'm like, well, it's a little bit of both. It is. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I don't know how tall Catherine is, but I know Brianna was, she's like five, four or something. And I know, you know, Kendall is only five, two. So. So general rule of thumb, if, if anyone's going to get into women's hockey and, and they want to like a correlate the size thing is um, so the average U S woman her height is 5'4", mm-hmm. and the average men's height is 5'10". And so you just you just go from there and you add an inch. So, you know, 5'5 five, five would be equivalent to 5'11", you know, so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So I'm 5'8 and a half. I round up to 5'9". And so <laughs> as a defenseman, I would have been, if I were a man playing defense, I would be 6'3". Yeah. So that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, she's in your equivalency model. I mean, um, uh, Kendall is basically Johnny Goudreau. Yes. <laughs> I was actually going to, that, that's what I was going to follow up with. Yes. Or Marty St. Louis. Yeah. Because Marty yeah. St. Louis was like 5'6. He was listed oh, gotcha. at 5'9, but yeah. he was 5'6. There's no He age. just had the thighs of a 7'5 giant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, he did. It's funny that you mention uh, Goudreau. So uh, about a few hours ago, I was listening to the Steve Dangle podcast, and he was making these exact points because he sent out a tweet that he got the dude bros saying, you know, once sometime in his lifetime, a woman will play in a regular season or playoff NHL game. Oh, yeah. It's not when you really break down what he's saying. It's not that outrageous of a, of a thought just no. one person thing in one regular season game i can see that happening in the next 20 years i think it could ha- i think it could happen probably in the next five to ten years but i'm a little pessimistic because of 
the hockey men haven't died off yet. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he made no, the there point. will always be here. The hockey men trademark um, will <laughs> yeah. always be here. Yeah, and everyone's going to look at, you know, the physical nature of the game and the size difference between players. And he correctly pointed out, you know, Braden Point and Johnny Gaudreau are, you know, 5'11", a buck 60 in full gear. Yet they are in the top 10 in scoring in the league. There is room for talented players to play in today's game. No question in my mind. There's there's always been room for them. It's, you know, you, you go back to even Theron Fleury and, and, you know, some of these older players that were 5'6", five, 5'7", five, you know. They, yeah, this, this entire subject gets my blood boiling because it's just I, I think if you just said to me 20 years ago would there be a woman capable of playing in the NHL no because I didn't think their programs and their skill set at the time would have allowed them to do it that skill gap between the programs just the youth programs is closing so much mm-hmm. that these women as Hillary Knight demonstrated last year and Brianna demonstrated this year and Kendall demonstrated this year that gap is is damn near fully closed. So and, here's, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, so, no, I was just going to say, and, and to your point, Pat, and to Steve's tweet, you know, within 10 or 20 years, the, that gap will be completely closed. I have absolutely no problem saying that because so the competition the, level just increases. So but here's the thing. Here's the issue as a woman. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say this is there is a, there is a, physiological um, issue going on with that. And it's just purely how the difference between how men and women are built. Um, Can women compete with men in the short term? Yes. One game, definitely. Two games, maybe. Over a course of an 82-game season, probably not. Um, And the reason for that are two things. One, women can't build the muscle men can. And I'm not talking about weight. I'm talking about injury prevention. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you need to have a lot of muscle to, to cushion a lot of the, the hits and, and the wear and tear. Women can't do that. Um, it, it's, a, it's a testosterone thing, and women don't have high testosterone, obviously. Um, and then two, knees are an issue for women because women have wider hips. Mm-hmm. Their femurs come into their knees at a different angle than men, and so they have their their knees aren't always they can be, but they aren't always as stable as men's, and so wear and tear over an eighty two game season, I don't think women's knees could take it. Oh. No, I I absolutely agree with that. I mean. I had to stop officiating where I was, you know, a referee going up and down the ice like you used to see in the 80s. You know, in my mid-20s, I kind of had to stop because of the wear and tear on my knees in a fairly average build for an NHL player. So I can only imagine what it does to a better trained, more efficient athlete who is just physically built different than me. Yeah, and I've always held the belief that that breakthrough position for a full-time NHL player for a woman would more than likely be at goaltending. 
Yeah. I mean, that's about the only way that, that it would be a regular member of the team. You could get a woman playing defense um, because skating backwards, as long as she's a taller woman, um, skating backwards doesn't take as much effort, one. And two, um, it would probably save her knees a mm-hmm. bit more. Mm-hmm. But um more people would want to put them at forward because they're small and, and shifty and fast. But I don't, they, I mean, just like, it's it's just like men in the NHL, right? Or any, any level of professional hockey where goalies tend to last the longest, defensemen, well, actually defensemen tend to last the longest, then goalies forwards tend to burn out fastest. Mm-hmm. So it, it'd be the same sort of deal. Yeah, a winger would probably be the most likely where someone would, cross the threshold but as far as longevity i think a defense person 100 percent would have the longest career and probably the most successful yeah, yeah. and 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 the fewest cowbelling incidents <laughs> but i'm bumped come on i got nothing for that okay fine, fine. fine. i had so- a i had a seth and amy uh really moment when you threw- <laughs> There. It was good, but really. <laughs> I got nothing sometimes. Um, now, Cassie. Yeah. Previously on the 3v3 podcast, you <laughs> dropped the question. Yes. Why is it up to the Seattle ownership to build rinks? Or any ownership. Why, yeah. why is it their responsibility? So since the time of last recording, I've thought about this a lot. So I'm going to, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are first, but I, I, I'm not kidding. I've been, I just sat up in my chair because I, I, this is kind of a passion topic for me since I, I live in a market who is facing this challenge before, you know, a franchise moves in, say in Seattle. So I'll yield the floor first, but I, I, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I will. Uh, de- I will yeah. defer. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I kind of think it's unfair. I, can, I kind of think that it's unfair to expect an NHL team to shoulder the entire burden of not just promoting hockey in the area, but building physical rinks so people can play. Um, their business like any other business, you know, it's like they, they want people to come in and that's why they do it. But shouldn't the community itself be, be like contributing to that? Shouldn't the community be, you know, building more ranks, whether that's private business creating more ranks or, you know, people deciding to like go into business and create more ranks. Um, it's like asking an NFL team to, in Vegas to come in and say, you know, this is great that you're here, but now you have to build like high school stadiums so we can have places for our high school teams to play. Aha. So there it is. There it is. I'm going to jump in here with arms flailing like Lisa Simpson. I'm going to do this with my arms. And if you're in the way, you're going to get hit. Um, So that to me is a fundamental problem that we have with hockey. Okay. And, and, and it's sort of a two prong attack here. One is my argument's always been if there was a grassroots ground up want for hockey in this area, the rinks would already be here because 
people would want to build rinks here, right? Not the NHL teams, but people would want to invest in hockey infrastructure here. Versus you look at how many baseball diamonds or soccer pitches or football fields are around here. Well, every high school has a football field, right? Every high school has a baseball diamond. Every mm -hmm. high school has a track and every high school has a basketball court. Not a, there's no high school that build hockey around here. Mm-hmm. And and how do you unravel that from the the want of a sport in an area versus the grassroots want of a sport in an area? And we go back to the cultural ice belt type thing. It just everybody's just started building rinks. And that's why the high school program started, because high schools ended up having rinks. They they would build a community rink because you know, they didn't want to be playing outside, so they'd start doing, you know, high school tournaments at shared rinks or whatever versus our basketball tournaments or our football tournaments. So nobody expects an NFL team to go to Vegas to and, and lay down and say, you need to build, you know, new stadiums and everything because they're already there. You, you can't throw a rock in any given direction and hit a high school that doesn't have a football field. So they're already there. Mm-hmm. Hockey rings aren't. Mm -hmm. So my argument to that is it behooves them because if you want to build fans, you've got to build interest in the sport. And there's only so much interest you can build 42 games a year at that level. And you want to get those kids up and playing. And, and, and there's nothing more prideful than at one point, to stay, you know, our junior program, which we helped, to, you know, build and do all of the and 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 support for all these years, has produced a first-round draft pick, or produced this NHL All-Star, or produced that. You know, the the number of times you get to hear Doug McLean um, blather on about Sean Corrali, you know, because <laughs> right, you know what I'm talking about, Pat. Right? I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yes. Yeah, because. <laughs> Sean Corrali came out of that Columbus system that they that they built and fostered um, when they started the Blue Jackets. So they kind of started a junior Blue Jackets program, and now they've got a kid, you know, who's a who's a legitimate NHLer that came through that system, you know. And same thing for for um, um, like Dylan DeMello. I think I think it's Dylan DeMello. One of them came out of the Junior Shark system, you mm -hmm. know. So you're starting to see the benefits coming out of that and LA just started I want to say like three or four years ago actually the Kings started investing in a high school hockey program so you know LA actually has some high school tournaments going on for hockey which is just mind-blowing Tampa but, does too yeah Tampa so, has high school yeah so but the Lightning didn't sponsor. Well, they they have since, but they didn't originally sponsor that. Yeah, and and so either someone starts it and the team gloms onto it, or the team starts it and then everyone gloms onto it. But I think it, for me, it behooves them to to at least help. I don't think, to your point, Cass, I don't think they need to be on the hook for a hundred percent of everything. You know, they should partner with communities. They should partner with you know whomever they need to. Whether it's whether it's private firms, you know, that manage rinks for them or whatever, and and that sort of stuff, but it behooves them just to build. 
Yeah, I I don't think it's a (laughs) responsibility that the team should take on, but as Patrick's kind of alluding to, it's a business opportunity for them. Um, What I see is with any team that's using a publicly funded rink, I would say it would be a moral, it'd be a offering to the community, hey, we're going to build this facility for you because you're allowing us to use this complex. But more so from a business standpoint, I think it's less expensive for teams. And you see, I think with the Penguins, maybe with the Capitals, anywhere in a huge metropolitan area, teams are now moving their hockey operations departments completely to these suburban ranks, these state-of-the-art suburban rinks. And I think it's probably... uh, a little cost effective for them to run something that's not, you know, in the middle of downtown Pittsburgh or, you know, Capital One Center in DC. It's easier for your staff to then locate themselves closer to a practice facility where you're spending, in, in all honesty, more hours working than you are in the arena for game time situations. So that just kind of benefits the community by, by default. Oh, here are these new sheets of rent ice that will not be used 100% of the time by the team. So here's more time available to the youth programs. And I I think that's the huge missed opportunity because here in Carolina, the practice facility, which is used probably less than 20% of the time, um, is a converted old Mexican dance club. I I kid you not. It is the (laughs) worst facility it is the 32nd ranked facility in the NHL, and there are only 31 of them right now. <laughs> Seattle's, you know, figment of of their imagination is infinitely better than what the Canes have. But, you know, having a better facility would probably keep some guys around that, you know, don't want to go park across the street walk through traffic, walk up some stairs, and then go around the side of the building to enter a facility versus, oh, I don't know, just about any any other option they have available to them. When it comes time to, all right, am I a player that the team wants to resign and do I want to resign there? So I, I think there's some, I think it's just like a shiny new toy that they can use for both public relations and to pitch to players. Uh, it kind of takes the... Uh, Mark Cuban idea, and I hate referencing him because I'm not the biggest <laughs> fan in the world, but instead of putting the away team in the crummiest you know, locker room you can have possible, which is a very popular tactic you see in college sports, show your professionals something nice, and then it gets them thinking, I wonder what's on the other side of this wall where the home team's playing. But two, I do agree with Patrick's point that fostering interest is going to end up creating the next generation of ticket buyers. So it, it it's a long-term marketing strategy. Um, I think the Arizona Coyotes right now are probably doing the best thing possible. They're not building a physical rink because they're having enough trouble with getting one for themselves. But what they're doing is they, at the very least, they've started small programs that are going to reach out to more than 200 elementary and middle schools in the greater Phoenix and uh, area where they're providing basically street hockey gear 
and kind of a, a curriculum that schools will then add into their day-to-day phys ed programs. I think things like that would probably be better served than just building a rink for the sake of building a rink and then slapping a team logo on it because uh, of the overhead. So it, it can kind of go both ways, but I think the business aspect is where teams are, are hugely probably missing out in, in some areas. So I agree with with they should partner with uh, um, people in the community to build rinks, um, lending their name for the, the business aspect of it. Um, but I disagree that they should be building rinks themselves um, unless it's their own practice facility. Simply because... Uh, no, I think it's 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 unrealistic. It's um, I shouldn't say unrealistic. It's an unrealistic burden to place on a new team to build more rinks for the community out of their own pocket than to partner up with someone local who can help them or build or pay for it and they'll lend their name. Um, so, like Seattle area, for example, actually San Jose too. They're you know, they are lacking in rink space, you know, they, they don't have enough rinks for the interest that's there. And actually here where I'm at in Worcester, there's a place down the road that has eight rinks and they don't have any public skating available at all because it's booked morning to night with rec hockey. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, and they have like, literally, I think it's six, might be six or eight rinks in one building, no public skating offered at all. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the grassroots part of it, Patrick, that you were saying, you would think that if there was an interest, people would build, um, you know, then there's also the, well, what about the junior teams, you know? I mean, they don't have as much money as an NHL team, presumably, but why aren't they building or helping to build? So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different aspects to it, but I think that the the NHL team of any city being the sole proprietor of all things hockey in that city um, really does a disservice to them, and it should the burden should be more in the community than on the team. But uh, apparently that's just me. <laughs> no, I can actually agree with that point. I, I, I think where I'm coming from is they need to build their own practice facility. Um, 100%. I, I think it makes more sense than running operations 100% out of your game day arena. I mm. think you're probably losing availability. So once upon a time, the viability of NHL teams was operating an arena in our non-traditional hockey markets, or as we like to call them, hockey markets. Um, <laughs> by running the arena, that's where you could, you know, make money as an ownership group, even if your hockey team's ledger is in the red. So by vacating the premises, so in Carolina, the arena is used by a local university basketball team in the NCAA, and the Hurricanes, and then the Hurricanes operate the arena and do, you know, the concerts, your Disney on Ice events, et cetera, et cetera. But they practice there probably 80% of their, you know, home practice dates. I wonder how many more events they could, you know, potentially hold 
to help you know secure the bottom line for for the ownership group so all relocation rumors go away if they were to move off site so that's kind of my thinking i don't think they should have to build more than one and i think you know to co-opt a line that everyone gets wrong is if you build it people will come it's not he will come people will come ray from uh, Field of Dreams. But if you have one thing, I think enough money and investment will come from other forms, and then private entities, I think, would build up ranks of their own when they see a, a market shortcoming where you're saying, Cassie, there are plenty of ranks around, but no public access to them. Or if there were even a couple more sheets, there might be public access, I think, to, to even get people into skating lessons. Because mm -hmm. I think that's that's where you start with that packed in. If it's six, you know, if it's twenty four seven for rec league hockey, where are those sort of? Where do I go to to learn how to skate? Or where do I, or you know, where do I go to have sort of a free skate? You know, the the rinks around here, um, uh, they used to have open skate nights, and sure, you go and rent skates and skate on the waffle, you know, the waffle iron ice surface that they have around here, but even then, you know, that was them, that was the rink trying to recoup some money because there weren't enough rec leagues. There were, you know, there wasn't enough of anything to, to pack the ice for that 24 seven. So it's that kind of weird balance, right? If you're successful, then you'll never have the ability, the ability to have new people learn how to skate because it, all your time's taken up with rec leagues. So, you know, the supply demand is standard, you know, first year college supply demand type stuff. So, um, I, I don't know. I, it's not, it's not on them to be a hundred percent funding them, but it certainly, and I'll continue to say behooves them to not just build the three sheets that, that they're going to build in, in Northgate for their practice facility and for public use, but also to branch out into the East side, that Redmond Kirkland Bellevue area, find a partner, partner with someone over there to build a sheet, a new facility. You know, how much they want to dive into it versus how much the partners or whomever they find wants to dive into it, completely up to them. But what I've also noticed that in a lot of the cases that it's another branding opportunity. And we all know they love to sell brand names, mm -hmm. right? So it's Solar for America Ice, you know, where the sharks practice or where the sharks can practice. You know, it's, it's whatever the nationwide center for, you know, whatever it is in, in Columbus, you know, so it's another branding opportunity for them to come in and partner with a title sponsor and get them to buy in as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it's a two way street vested interest is kind of get kids into it. You can make money off of it. You can grow something out of it. You make more money out of the growth, that kind of thing. So, I think that will do it for this one. Any final thoughts? I feel like I should come up with another show-stopping question, but I can't come up with anything right now. <laughs> I'll work on that for the next one. Okay. <laughs> I have to say, thinking about Kendall Coyne, Rana Decker, in 2018, the women's gold medal game in the Olympics was probably the most entertaining hockey I watched all year. And it was probably the most entertaining thing, hockey-centric, I watched all year. You know, 
watching the Capitals and Ovi when the cup was great, but it was just kind of the end of the day, you kind of saw the story being written. So I'm hoping after this weekend, we'll see another inch forward to see more of the women's game beyond every other, every four years. Cause that's about the only time I ever see it without reaching out. And because I am a giant hockey nerd, I am going to reach out and watch it. Um, but uh, I, I just hope someone, I don't even care if it's the NHL or not, because I love hockey and I like the NHL. So I hope someone just capitalizes on it and just, you know, finds a way in the States to get, you know, maybe the championship game of the NWHL on, you know, a network uh, or a cable network sometime this spring. So that's okay. So here's my question to you two then. Okay. How much longer can women's hockey survive in a bifurcated leagues? Because it's doing more damage than it's helping right now. Do you agree or disagree? And that's my question. I think so that's we'll, a perfect, perfect place to leave it. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll chew on that for next time. Follow us on Twitter at 3v3 podcast. This has been the 3v3 podcast sponsored by nobody. <laughs>